Nets, and welcome to a late night edition of the Rough Drafts podcast. It is 12.30 in the morning on May the 12th, uh, and following a very successful opening weekend for Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, a movie that both myself and my podcast co-host, Chase Redshirt King Wassner, we're very excited for. We both saw the movie. Uh, we're not getting a, an instant out-of-movie-theater reaction from Chase like we did with Logan. Uh, but, you know, I think that this was a movie that we did need to have a couple of days to just kind of compress and to, to take in and to really understand what everything that was going on. Uh, but before we get to our thoughts, I will actually introduce my co-host, Chase Wassner, also known as Redshirt King on the tweeters. Chase, how are we doing this wonderful evening? I mean, we're talking about a Marvel film, so I'm already in a good mood. Uh, I've been a, a huge uh, fan of superhero films for forever. If you guys listen to the Logan review, uh, you already know that. Uh, the Marvel films in particular, I've always said, are kind of like my childhood come to life. Like, this is what I dreamed of when I was growing up, is that I would get to see you know, Captain America and Iron Man and all these characters <laughs> on the big screen. And the fact that we're watching a movie with the bad guy that is the bad guy in this film. Um, and I, I don't want to spoil anything. Oh, oh, yet, oh, oh, because we're going we to be spoiling spo stuff. We're going to yeah. be spoiling a lot of stuff. So yeah. if you haven't watched the movie, pause this, go yeah. get a ticket, go watch the movie. The second you're done with the movie, you know, open this back up in your car on the way home. Make sure that you're not looking at the screen if you're driving because we don't condone distracted driving. But then listen to it. Listen to us discuss all the spoiler stuff because, um, there were definitely some some really really cool things in this, but Chase, I I want to get a I want to get a negative out of the way. Okay, uh, can I just uh, okay? Is, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. We have a movie with ego as a villain. Holy crap! Like, what are the like? If you told me ten years from now, by the way, Chase, you know that really like weird like living planet idea that Marvel threw out in their cosmic universe and is like this crazy thing that almost is too much for some comic fans yeah there's going to be a mainstream movie about it and it's going to make over a hundred million dollars on its opening weekend I would say what universe <laughs> are you from because there's cosmic no universe. way there's yeah no it was clearly in the multiverse somewhere like but like this is, like, I, some of these things, it's like the one thing that convinces me that this is not the darkest timeline. Because the darkest timeline would be everything that's happening right now in the world and no Marvel films. So we might not, we're like the slightly less dark than the darkest timeline. Because we have a movie with Ego as a villain. I, I couldn't be happier. And, let's, and, okay. And, and now, brightest now let's dawn and blackest night. Is, yes. is that... Is that uh, how the Green Lantern slogan goes? Yeah, wrong company, but yeah. I mean, that's fair. It's... Night, no evil shall defend my sight. May those who worship evils might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. There Bam! You there you go. Talking Got about it. a DC franchise on a Marvel film, that seems like a good idea, which I want to see a remake of Green Lantern because I think they could actually... Uh, no, it's DC. They can't do a better job than that. Anyways, I want to I get the negative out of the way because I, I agree, Ego was uh, was... Absolutely fan fucking tastic. We can swear because this isn't sponsored. Absolutely oh, yeah, fan okay, cool. fucking tastic. And Kurt Russell is a god. Yes, it, like he he was a he's a god in this movie. He's Literally. an actual fucking god. He was <laughs> brilliant. He played this like I this, this struggling like oh, I want to be a good father. Hold on, let's let I want to yeah. gush over this. I have to get my my ginormous nitpick out of the way. Yeah. So Chase, 
Hmm. Uh, do you remember what my one worry about this movie was when we've talked about this before? You know, I ever saw it. What was the one thing that I was super worried that this movie was going to do? You were very worried that they were going to go all in on Baby Groot and make it like this super adorable, let's sell all the toys kind of thing. And that it was going to get real tired real quick. I thought it was going to be. comedy was going to wear itself out. I thought they were going to double down on the comedic, shtick, joking, and just like CGI action. And then it was going to be kind of a bland story, and it was all going to be focused on how many jokes can we put into it, how many, how much, you know, crazy space action can we put into it, and uh, yeah, that opening scene, so good. The fuck off, no. Oh. That opening scene. If you said, all right, all right, Walter, I'm going to show you the first ten minutes of the movie, and I want you to decide if this is going to be a good movie or not. I would have slapped you in the face after minute five, and been like, don't waste my time anymore. I'm done with this shit. Okay, but like. You, that was because of your direct fear that that's what the rest of the movie was going to be absolutely. like. Absolutely. I absolutely. I don't think, like, if you went back to watch it a second time, I think you would enjoy it knowing that there's a rest of a movie to come. No. So you don't have to worry about that being the way the whole movie's going to be. what's the point? I, I, I don't understand the point. Like, it's funny. It's really funny. It, it's, like, the... I think that this is something... I, I remember watching a YouTube video that was mentioning this recently... It, the idea of like some funny action scene going on in the background while another conversation or another set piece is happening is really underused. You know, think about like the men in black scene, right? Where like ah. the agent's going over the questions while Will Smith is trying to deliver the squid baby. Yeah. Like yeah. that's one of the funniest things. And that's, that's what true. this whole fight was to me is they're just fighting through and you see things flying around and they're getting thrown out and almost hitting baby Groot at every single occasion um, and just getting destroyed. And meanwhile, baby Groot's just dancing, doing his little thing to the upbeat music. I loved that. I, I, I will say the best part of that entire scene, though, and this is going to be another one of my like huge ups for that movie, is when Drax, when Batista mm -hmm. lands next to him and Baby Groot stops and mm -hmm. doesn't move. And then Drax kind of like moves and like gets like he's going to up and he starts to and like that was the best part of that entire scene. That was the scene that I really liked. That was the yes. part of it that I really liked. Um, but like, I, yeah, my entire worry was they were just gonna go all in on let's sell as many Baby Groot action figures and, and t-shirts and stuff as we can. And the first ten minutes of that movie did not alleviate those fears at all. I was I was like, oh great, I just wasted my money to watch a movie that I'm not going to enjoy. And I I did not enjoy that scene. I did not enjoy the opening. I wanted to see the action. I wanted to see how the team had now come together. Now that we are you know, X amount of time away from the end and like, okay, are, are they a well-oiled machine or are they still kind of the bumbling idiots that, you know, oh, oh, I guess we tripped over ourselves and somehow completed the task. Uh, it's sort of like the difference between like really experienced D&D &D groups that have been playing together for like 10 years and like first timers that don't understand what people are trying to do. Like, why would you use detect trap? That makes no sense. Oh, I just lost my life. Like silly things like that. And that I didn't get that. Instead, I got Baby Groot taking up 80% of the screen and all the cool action-y stuff happening in the background. And I'm like, wait, but, like, I want... I'm... And I guess, yeah, they did transition into, like, okay, here's how the team is going to do it, and you still got kind of the, like, semi-bumbling, they're not used to each other. Drax is like, I'm going to jump into the thing. And <laughs> I love that. You know the skin's the same uh, depth on either side, right? <laughs> That he's like, I single-handedly did... Oh, God, Drax was the... Can we just, like... Drax was the best part of this film. If you're going to see it, like, no... Dave Bautista knocks it out of the park. I, Guy was brilliantly he, funny. Drax's shtick is still great. He carries probably the first 45 minutes to an hour of the film, in my opinion. 
Like, single, <laughs> he single-handedly carries that much while all this other stuff is, like, building up. Like, he... Man, Batista may have been terrible in his return to WWE and everybody hated him, but, like, he's he's a pretty damn good actor. Like, I'm actually impressed with sort of the range of characters that he gets when he's actually put into a decent role and not, like, the silent, like, I'm going to crush one dude's head inspector and that's it. That's all I do. Yeah. No, he definitely bounced off of this script very well. I, I think it says a lot. Like, I personally, I don't like scat humor at all. <laughs> you make your piss jokes, your fart jokes, whatever. I... I don't care for that. Yeah. But the, the when Drax just freaks out, like, ha, 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 it's because I make notoriously large poops. Like, okay, <laughs> got me. You got me there, movie. Wasn't expecting that. 10 out of 10, I actually laughed at this. I would never expect to laugh at a joke like that. And I actually, I, I have to say, I, I thought that this was a movie that, especially for Marvel, was really hung up on a lot of that stuff. There were penis jokes here. There were, you know, a lot of sex jokes, a lot of those kinds of things. We know, which is not we, necessarily we, we know why they did that, Deadpool. We know why they sure. went a little bit more towards the, towards the like, PG-13 atmosphere. because Deadpool. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But, like, it, but that was, like, 20th Century Fox. That was not a Marvel thing. But that, but that doesn't movie... matter. Is Deadpool existed, and Deadpool went full all in, and we're going to do the rated R comedy superhero shtick and marvel was like wait we can get away with some of this stuff because they did a you know happy women's like feminism day where but, you know you know they, the scene i'm talking about if you watch deadpool like that entire thread yeah. they're like wait they could get away with that i could get away with a poop joke like we could get away with is, a poop joke disney this is when i remind you yeah it's disney disney never likes to have companies go out with things that are uh that are explicit. The poop jokes, maybe not so much. They've had those in some of their animated films. Uh, but the sex jokes, the penis jokes, were something I was not expecting at all. And I'm really glad they existed because you know what? These are like these crude explorer types that are not necessarily full on good guys. They're pirates like, of yeah, the galaxy. Of course they're going to make these kind of jokes. Like, if you've ever been friends with people like them, guess what? These jokes come up. It's a human thing to talk about. And. I think I think it was nice how not like after the first like couple times they made it where it was like it stood out a little bit to me like it stopped like it stopped feeling awkward like it started, it started stopped I stopped noticing it I guess is a better way to put it like I, I started it just became part of the universe and something that made sense with their characters and it didn't uh, bug me or stand out as like a, a a thing that's like, whoa, that's weird that they're doing that. Like, no, it totally makes sense that they're doing that. And it made sense with the characters that we had gotten to know in the last film. <laughs> um, and I, I think that it, it bounced off of each other very well. Um, I just, that in, uh, in Trash Panda may have been in my two favorite. Is that good? Is that good? <laughs> it's so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, like, I mean, but that's like cute. That's like a cute yes. thing. I, I have to say, like, the, with all the things that worried me, this was the exact opposite of the things that worried me. Like, the first, like I said, Drax, Dave Batista probably carried the first 45 minutes, uh, an hour of the film through the humor. But that was because they were laying all of this foundation and began to start telling this very nuanced story about family, about choosing family, about family disappearing and coming back into your life. And it's, and it's in all of these, all these little layers. It's in this layer where, where Drax and... Um, 
uh, Mantis are talking about, you know, they're out sitting there and he's like, you know, being mean to her, but they're like w- looking at the pond and he like talks about his daughter. Like all this little thing. It's in the very obvious of Ego is Star-Lord's father. A planet had sex with a human and created Star-Lord, which is why he's kind of awesome. It's the sibling rivalry that we get um, between Gamora and, and Nebula and we yes. get between Rocket and then the sibling rivalry that we get between Rocket and Star-Lord and all of this and Star-Lord and Yondu and all of this layered on top of layered and top of layered. And, and Rocket and Yondu. Like, that yeah. was great, too. Yeah. Like, we're saying Rocket, by the way, not Rocket. Rocket. Oh. We yeah. said we well, both said Rocket. I mean, Rocket's great, too. Yeah. But yeah, Rocket in this but particular like, all of this nuance. And this is a movie about family? No way coming into gar- into this movie would I have been like, yeah, at the end of the day, this is going to be about, oh, we're a family. Like, that's that's usually, like, the third movie in kind of these, like, get-together buddy. Like, think about, like, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, they didn't get to, like, uh, like yeah, we're, like, a big happy family where the two, like, funny pirates that are, like, missing an eye are, like, oh, yeah, they're actually friends of ours. Like, we're all cool. Like, they were still in two. They were still, like, the kind of comedic sidekicks that are, like, oh, great, I have to deal with you two again. Like, mm-hmm. this went full bore on the whole family element up until the very last scene of the movie uh, before the credits. Like, I, I didn't expect that. What, and I think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose this to you, Chase. And I posed this to you before, but I actually want, you know, well thought out on podcast form. Okay. I think this is the best narrative that Marvel has told in the movies. Just outright. In, in, in two and a half hours, I think this is the best beginning to end story. And progression of a story that they have told. Civil War exists. Like he here's the thing about Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I, I love this film. Straight up. If you want to get to the end of this, like what what is Chase Found of Hots? I love this film. It's a great film. Go out and see it. <laughs> it if you're going on like a, a five star scale, it's a four star movie. It's not perfect. I, okay. I think the biggest problem that I have with it uh comes down to the way they presented some of the story elements. I thought the pacing was not great at spots mm-hmm. like you talk about Drax carrying that first 45 minutes to an hour I agree wholeheartedly yeah. and the reason that he had to is because it took us longer than it should have mm-hmm. to get from you know the opening scene to Star-Lord and Ego are on the planet doing their Star-Lord thing. I am your father right and everything in between that was just not not really necessary. Like, it wasn't bad per se. It just, you know, you spent this whole time and you're like, I was just thinking to myself in the theater, like, I'm, an, I'm like, we're an hour in. I don't know who the bad guy is yet. Like, I, like, okay, I love that. I, I, I knew who the bad that. guy is. But, like, okay. But, I loved that. But you're supposed to set up, like, in the first third of the movie, you're supposed to set up the conflict. Like, the first third of the movie takes more than a third of the movie's runtime. And I understand people who would say, like, that's a problem. And then you look at the second act of the movie. Second act of the movie, it's like, gas pedal to the floor we are accelerating through to get to the final scene and the third the the final third is amazing and perfect and well done i just felt like they could have done a better job balancing the first two thirds of the film and i think it would have been a stronger narrative but to be clear when you talk about having a strong narrative i think the the character moments that they went into were brilliantly chosen. I think they took some characters, you know, Gamora and Nebula, for instance. Like, we saw Nebula for just a very little bit. She was basically, like, you know, the mini-boss to Thanos is the big boss, right? Or or to, um... God, who was the bad guy in Guardians of the Galaxy 1? Oh, uh... uh, uh, Ronan. 
Ronan, yes, Ronan the Accuser. You're absolutely right. So, like, he's the mini-boss to Ronan. Like, that's all we really knew from her. This fleshes out their storyline brilliantly. You know, uh, Yondu. We knew Yondu was this kind of scary guy who has a history with Star-Lord, and it's not necessarily nice, but we didn't have, like, the depth of that. And we certainly didn't have the depth about Yondu as a whole. Mm -hmm. We got a ton of that here. Yes. Um, You know, Drax was a guy that came in, you know, towards the, you know, middle to late part of the movie and the last one. And a lot of it was, you know, him having to deal with, you know, his family thing. But it was very removed from the rest of the cast. Here, it really felt like he came into his own as a member of the full team. And I, I think in in Rocket as well, the way that he bounces off of Yondu is just brilliantly done. And, and I think that that was the thing that made the movie work for me, is that it wasn't just hey, how do we as a five-person team work together? It's how do each of these characters bounce off of all of these little mini relationships and how do those relationships affect other things? How does Star-Lord trying to reconnect with his dad affect his relationship with Gamora? And what are the, you know, how do they bounce off of each other in terms of approaching this in the first place? Like, I thought it was a really great way of, presenting it that like at first star it's like this is a trap i don't want anything to do with this guy he's probably a terrible person Gamora's like no 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 give him a shot what if this is your dad i know how much you care about family and then when he finally gets all in he's like yeah family i'm all in on this i love this and she's like what are you doing like this guy like now there's clearly stuff up and you're not seeing it and i thought like that's it's it's such a real way of presenting that kind of story it would have been very easy to have one of them be right, but they both had their moments where they were correct for different reasons. And when you saw Star-Lord go to the other side of that argument, we knew emotionally why that was the case. And just like we knew why Gamora was suddenly not so convinced by any of this mm-hmm. and why she was starting to feel suspicious and, and her concerns and everything. And I think that that's why when you see, like, this is James Gunn understanding these characters, understanding who they are as people, understanding how they work together and and understanding that they are more than just a member of the team. And I felt like every character had their moment in this film. And I I think that's huge. I I think the length, you talk about the beginning third being way more than a third of the movie. I think that is a, I don't think it's a detriment. I think it's actually completely necessary because the people who, who, whose relationships are, are, are need creating the relationship between ego and star Lord. We're talking about his entire adult, his entire life. He never knew his father. He watched his mother die. So it does have to be this very long tentative, you know, tentative, you know, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. I'm star Lord. Like I'm wanted by people. And then like this gradual, okay, I'm warming up to you. I'm warming up to you. Oh God. Like you left my mom. Like all this entire buildup needs to take time. It can't be this very rushed. Like I don't trust you. You're my father. You left my mother. I'm okay with that. It has to be drawn out because the natural progression of how that goes in real life of a father abandoning their child and then coming back into the life later on, the kid doesn't immediately day one go, yeah, you're my father. We can, I absolutely love you. Like it takes yeah. building up. It takes all that. And I think that length does that. I that, think- that's not the part that I think went on too long, to be clear. I think the part of getting from where they started to meeting his father so we could get to those emotions, like there's that entire action scene where they go through like the meteor shower and whatever oh, else. Like, yeah, because rockets stole the batteries. Like, yeah, but like that was so. It, it just like like I understand why that scene is there because it gets them to where they need to be. But 
But it sets it, up it sets but, up the Rocket Star Lord rivalry. It sets up the the brother rivalry to like Drax is the big dumb older brother that makes fun of both the younger brothers, and the two younger brothers are trying to step out of this you know shadow of being made you know picked on by picking on each other and trying to be the alpha male out of the other too. Like they have to set up that relationship because they have to set up Rocket paralleling Yondu of both of them not having anything. I, Rocket has Baby Groot, but that's. Baby Groot could have been with Gamora the entire time, and it wouldn't have really changed much other than, hey, we need, you know, we need uh, uh, something, a plot device to get them out of prison, essentially. Like, Rocket needs to be dropped to his absolute lowest. And part of that is because Star-Lord is leaving him in the dust, is brushing him off, is moving on, is leaving him behind to fix the ship, to take care of everything. He gets captured because he's not as smart as he thinks he is. All these things where you need to take this time to build up. You have to build Star-Lord up to his peak so that when it all falls apart, it falls and it hurts. And that he has to have that surge of emotion to overcome it. The entire Gamora-Nebula thing, you need to have it where Gamora and Nebula the entire time, this entire length is, I I need to stop you. I need to stop you. I need to kill you. I need to stop you. I need to... Until all of a sudden they have the moment where, like, I just wanted a sister. Yeah. You have to you have to build to all of these peaks. The Drax building up to that moment where he realizes his his wife and his daughter are gone. That yeah. he doesn't have them anymore. That that moment with Mantis, you have to build to these peaks. And it takes a long time to climb a mountain. It takes a really long time to climb up there and it's really sure. quick to come down and to then finish the movie. So I think that length was necessary because you it, have to build these relationships. It's it's a it's not as much like when we talk about pacing, we're not talking about like how long the movie is. There are longer movies that have no Absolutely. pacing. Absolutely, we're talking about you know the order of scenes in which they're presented, and it felt like we had a couple really big action set pieces mm-hmm. early on, and then we had a lot of downtime before we had the next big action sequence. And I think that like all of that downtime, if you had if you had readjusted some things and moved some some other elements around in order to hit all of those same beats, but maybe not, instead of having to do all of the setup at once, kind of have a bit of setup, an action scene here, and now the rest of the setup, like, you could have, you could have spread it out better. different stories. That's the problem, is you're telling the story of four different relationships that are being manipulated and created and, and adjusted in this time span, and you only have two and a half to three hours, like... But because you have so many stories, you can segment it a bit more than they did. It felt like, like, this is the story section of the film. Like, this is when we're getting the story bits and we're going to cut from one story to another story to another story. Like, you could have had story bit, story bit, action scene, story bit, story bit, action scene. That's typically what why movies do things in a certain way, right? Because if you have too much story all next to each other, it's going to affect the tempo of the film. And I now, again, these are, like, this is kind of a a nitpick on the broad scale of things you don't care about the pacing as long as what you're watching is enjoyable and and to be clear it's funny throughout like even when i'm thinking to myself like man it's been a while since we've had an action scene it's kind of like this is this is kind of getting a little weird that i don't know where the bad guy is yet and whatever like the entire time i was laughing i laughed out loud more than i have in probably any marvel film that i've seen in theaters like just like straight up, just yeah. moments that invoked a, a audible reaction out of me. I 
loved it. And maybe some of that was just the audience I was with. I was with a great audience. They were all in on the movie from the very beginning. People were cracking up at the intro sequence. Can I, so it was can very I just easy to say, I saw this on a Sunday. I saw this yes. on a Sunday at like 5 o'clock. There were less than 50 people in the audience where Whoa. I saw it. Which, I mean, it's 5 o'clock in Rochester. It was kind of like cloudy and gloomy out. But like still, I just, I like turned around at one point because I'm like, we were worried that we weren't going to get a good seat. And we show up and there's probably, and we show up like 15 minutes, 20 minutes early, get popcorn and everything. And we like go in and there's like eight people in the theater. And we're like, oh, okay. So we got like really good spots. And then, yeah, like only about 50 people even were there in the theater, which was kind of like weird to me. Like, so, so I have to like pose this question here. We've had a lot of superhero movies. Yes. Like a metric shit ton of them over the last, what, 10 years? Sure. If if Iron Man 1 was 08. 06? 08? Somewhere uh, in that range? Iron Man 1 was 08. Oh, 2008. So yeah, almost 10 years. And that, and I, I give like Iron Man is like probably the beginning of the boom. Of, of the superhero boom where everyone's okay. like, okay, we're going we're gonna to actually pull out all these IPs and do all that stuff. At least the Marvel boom. Um, have we, are we almost to the point where the superhero movie is boring, where it's blasé, where it's not something that you absolutely have to see it in theaters and you can um, wait until it's on Amazon Prime or Redbox or whatever? Here's my counter argument. Okay. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 made $500 million last weekend. 170, 176 million domestically, 325 million foreign. A whole bunch of people went to see the film. A whole bunch of people went are, to see are, the film. So I'll, I'll just ask you, are, are you bored of going to see superhero movies? Absolutely not. Oh, God, no. I'm, I'm all in okay. on, on superhero films, and I will always be. I mean, right now, I mean, and some of that, like, when I say that, like, I am a massive comic book fan. Yeah. I have been since I was very little. I think that, you know, if you look at just, you know, what where my influences are and the things that I've always loved, um, I think that this is, you know, the kind of movie that just hits this spot in me where it can just be something that's, it hits that escapism point, it has that, you know, fun to it, but it also has a soul to it. And I think that when done well, there's so much more weight to it than that. Um, I, I think that, if you look at, I'm reading right now, um, the, you know, the 176 million in U.S. and Canada, the only movie in Marvel's history that had a larger first weekend a domestic production was uh, Captain America: Civil War at 189. Like, people love Guardians of the Galaxy, and they went out to it despite this being a movie in which the villain is a fucking living planet, like a literal planet. That like forms himself into a human being that's made of like this pure energy that has a fucking slave I... mantis girl. Like and people went in and the reason they went in is because there is something that is inherently okay. just wonderful about okay. being in a world that is as crazy as our modern world is right now and being able to just have fun. So, so time it's out. It's just fun. So time out. When did you know Ego was the villain? I knew from the beginning, but that's because But I you didn't know before the movie. Person. I did not know. I I pretty much knew before the movie, to be honest with you. I I, I was thinking to myself like, there's a chance that Mar that Marvel Studios thinks that's too far to go. There is a, a chance, but it's uh. I, I I mean I had heard I think in July 2016 I I think that Russell had uh had mentioned something about it. Okay. So like I I had heard rumblings, but I was like okay well this is. 
this this can't really um this this can't be a hundred percent of the thing, this right? There's reality, a twist here. Like... There's something that comes through. Like this is, I mean, it's such an absurd idea, and it's not like that is not the traditional uh, background for Star Lord, by the way. When I say I know it from the comics, I know that the cosmic interpretation of of where they've gone in the history. I know what ego is. I know the background of it. I know how it could play into this narrative. But I did not know they were directly going to say, by the way, this planet is your father. And that's how we tie in how you survived to the end of the first film. Because that was something that as a comic book fan, like I knew from there, like, OK, clearly he's got some some superhero blood in him. But like, what kind is it? Is it like Asgardian? Is it Kree? Like we've seen multiple different interpretations. Is he an inhuman? Because the Inhumans are pushing really hard in their TV series. No, he's a Celestial. We're actually going there. No, seriously, we're actually going there. And we're going to make Ego the representation of what a Celestial is in this example as, like, this living planet that develops in this whole philosophy of, of itself and this idea of, of creating this nothingness across the world. I, like, galaxy, universe, everything. It's just such a, I, I mean, it, it blew my mind. It, that was I, a good I'll swerve. I'll put it this way. That was an I, excellent I, swerve. Like, let me be honest. I, I know nothing about Ego. I knew absolutely nothing. I am not, I, I'm very limited in my comic book knowledge. I'll be very honest about that. Mm-hmm. And the entire time, I was falling for it too. I didn't know who the bad guy was. And I was A-okay with that. I knew the bad guy would eventually show up. I knew it eventually, I, I honestly thought the progression was the bad guy's going to show up it's gonna he's gonna either corrupt ego or he's gonna kill ego and then that and then that sets off the i had my dad for a moment and he got taken away from me sort of you know uncle ben dies uh uh you know clark kent you know superman's both his fathers died like that entire thing of like that chain of events of like so this is what it means to like you know hurt and you know, great you know, great power comes great responsibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So so when there's this swerve of like, no, I want to destroy the universe, I was totally caught off guard, taken aback, like, holy shit, Kurt Russell plays a good bad guy. Cause my only experience with Kurt Russell as a superhero is from that awesome movie Sky High. And if you think yes. it was bad, I have a middle finger for you. Yeah. No. I thought that movie was fantastic. But it plays so much to Kurt Russell's strengths because he doesn't think he's a bad guy. He doesn't think he's evil. He's just like, this is just my purpose in life. It's just, yeah. I need to be everything. I have to be absolutely everything. And then he sort of goes down the like, you're a bad kid. I need to punish you. You know, and, and the way I know punishment is through divine retribution. Hmm. hmm. Yeah allegory 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 i didn't want it to be this way i mean look i gotta be honest like this is the ultimate answer of like i knew i had heard rumblings about ego i had an idea that there was this direction they could go with it and i forgot while i was watching the movie because i was so enraptured with the way that kurt russell was playing the character and like you know that great moment where uh uh, Star Lord forms the ball in his hand and plays yeah. catch. Oh, it's like, oh my god, it was so adorable. cheesy, but it was so ad- it was adorable. Like, it, was it was amazing. Like, 
how could you not love it? And um, and the whole thing, like, I love the, like, I'm going to make some weird shit. I'm just letting you know. And then, of course, by the end of the movie, we see exactly. a giant Pac-Man. Fucking hell. It was, oh, like, I, again, that was one of those things where, like, okay, well, I'm just, like, that's a great joke that he would make a Pac-Man, because I'm sure he would. And then the fight happens, he actually makes a fucking Pac-Man. I'm like, I, that's it, Disney, get all of my money. Just take it. Take all of the money. I'm so, like, this is one of those things. I, I don't go to very many movies in theaters anymore because you can get most of the movie experience from watching at home, HBO Go, Netflix. You'll, you'll get them all eventually. Um, I saw this in IMAX 3D, and I do not regret it. It was, because A, uh, Ego's World coming to life in, in 3D, and especially IMAX 3D, was amazing. It was but but definitely just, made for 3D. Like the, I watched the, it in 2D, and you could tell. Yep, that's 3D. That's 3D. That's 3D. That's all supposed to be 3D right now. Um, I just don't like 3D movies. Just that's fair. Period. Yeah, I, and I understand people who feel that way. But if you do, like, if you like 3D in its right moments, this is 3D done right. It wasn't exploitative. It wasn't like, oh my god, the thing's coming at me. Like it was, like this world felt more alive, because you could see. Like the the depth of it, you can you can feel that in, in in a different way when you can see it in that realm. And I, you know, I'm not always big on it, but uh, but it's one of those things where like, it's been one weekend and it's it's the fifth highest grossing film of 2017, and it's just absurd that this is the world we live in. And I got to see a fucking Pac-Man take on a god to take things down so that we could get the baby tree guy to plant a bomb. So that the raccoon and the the alien ladies and everything else can escape. Like, what is what is this world? And then what the is ultimate act of 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 a parent to sacrifice themselves so their children could live? Yeah. Let's talk about Yandu. Let, let's, yeah, talk let's talk about, about Yandu, Yandu as a character. Let's talk about Yandu as a character. Um, like, I liked the arc. I liked the realization. I loved the entire scene with him and Rocket in the cell. Where he's like, you're going to end up just like me. Like, it, 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 it just has such a beautiful parallel. It feels like like when you watch like those like uh, like scared straight shows where they like throw a kid into prison and like there's somebody that's done like the same type of thing as them and they're like, you know, this is what my life turned into. This is what I was like, like scaring them straight. And he like scared Rocket straight. Just entirely yeah. of like, do you want to end up like this? You ah! and then just kind of like was super depressed and like I ain't done nothing with my life. I I screwed up so bad and got and like you felt for him. He wasn't just like this pirate. He like you genuinely were like, man, that's like I feel bad for you. You like, got manipulated. Like you were doing some bad stuff. Let let let's start with something <sighs> right here that I never thought I'd say. Uh, the first time we see Yondu. He's in a brothel of robot alien prostitutes. <laughs> Disney. Da, 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 da. Like, I, God, I love this. I, Sorry. I With just... Tommy Flanagan and Sylvester Stallone showing up. Like, yeah, Sylvester Stallone. Huh. Which also, I did not know that was happening. I guess I missed that piece of news. But uh, I, I do try to stop paying attention to these Again, things. Again, but... still not Sylvester Stallone's best, like, space kind of uh, space superhero-y uh, 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 spot because there is Spy Kids 3. Stop it. Stop. What? He was fantastic in Spy Kids 3D. Spy Kids 3 is so terrible. That was a... No! Was that no! So it was not terrible. Spy it Kids was... 2 was amazing. 
Spy Kids 1 was good, but not great. Spy Kids 3 was a dumpster fire. But we will save that for the Spy Kids oh, podcast God. at another day oh. in time. Look, Yondu had, was a character in this film. He, yes. he was not just a prop. This, this guy that you had to work through, he wasn't just the cool weapon. Like, I think that's one thing oh, that God. we all had from him before. It's like, His oh, weapon is so he's, cool. that, he's got that cool weapon. The whistling um, arrow. Yeah, with the, the control fin or whatever. Oh. Like, that's cool. That's fun. I get why that's interesting. But, like, him as a character wasn't really interesting. He was intimidating. He wasn't interesting. This was like, here's a guy who's trying to lead these people who aren't necessarily all that smart. Literally, the guy who leads the resistance against him is named Taserface. <laughs> which is fucking the funny. Best, the best. I that love it. Yeah. And I love the idea when he calls the alien at the end. And he's like, tell them. That Taserface gave you this information, and they're like, I thought, he was gonna cha- I thought he was gonna change his name. I thought he was about to be like Kate, Steve. <laughs> like, no, tell them Steve. So much better. Steve than the pirate. The last thing he hears before he dies is people laughing at him for his stupid name. I just <laughs> fuck, love it. Love everything about it, and I love the fact that like, look, removed from the Guardians of the Galaxy, do uh, do Yondu or Rocket Raccoon? care about keeping these goons alive? Absolutely fucking not. Let's have that quill go insane. Let's see everything about it be as, as, as fast-paced and as fun as that fight scene can be. Let's go all out with it. And, uh, and, and you know, so the action scenes worked with it, but he also, he was a really relatable character because he was this guy and he, he knew he had made a mistake. You know, when Sylvester Stallone calls him out at the beginning, he has no counter-argument. You know, he just sits there and he has to take it because he knows that he broke the code. And you can tell how much that hurt him. And especially when he's like, you will never have that Ravager funeral. Like, that's soul crushing to him. And that's the first time we've seen him really care about something or someone other than ostensibly himself. And when he loses his men and all he has, you know, he's stuck in this cell and all he has is is a chance to go out there and and help Star-Lord and, uh, you know, you know, that just seeing him be that guy and and step up in that way. Like, I can't I wasn't a great guy. I didn't do things the right way. But Rocket, I'm not going to let you be like me, because trust me, I get you. You're not that hard to see through. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I understand that I don't do many things right. So if I get my chance to do the right thing, I'm going to do it. And if you're thinking to yourself, this is not that atypical from other characters that we've seen in other superhero movies. Sure. I don't care. It was really well done. And that's the thing where you have to look at it as more than just, you know, this is a character arc. You have to look at, uh, you know, uh, Michael Rooker did such an amazing job with the role. He really sold all of these little emotional bits. You know, you you get the, uh, you know, kind of not quite the cockiness of it, but you get that, that, exterior of like i'm the the cool badass dude i'm gonna i'm gonna keep myself together and then you get those couple moments behind the scenes and when you see that come through you see those cracks you it just carries so much more weight you know they don't hit you over the head with it they let they trust you to understand where this arc ultimately has to lead and it makes it all the more tragic you know when rocket gives him the jetpack of the he's like this is one jetpack and one suit but I only have one of each. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he knows. He knows what Yondu is going to do. Because, you know, it would have been one thing for him to say, like, I don't trust, like, Yondu's still been a whatever guy. Like, I don't I don't want to trust him, whatever. 
he knows what Yondu's about to do, and he lets him do it. And Yondu, like he, had, there's that understanding between the two of them, and he does, you know, he makes this move, and it's just, it's just brilliant. It's just it it hits because he has his moment and he seizes it without hesitation. You know, let me do this. You know, that's that's the part that got me is right there. Like, let me do this. Let me do this one thing right. For once in my life, I get to be the good guy here. Yeah. And that's like I think everybody can relate to that. I think everybody has had that one friend or that one person with whom they've really screwed up. You know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, varying degrees, obviously, but we all make mistakes in this world. Absolutely. And this is like our one chance. Like I have a chance to make up at least in some way for something that I did to hurt somebody I care about blown up in magnitudes, which is what superhero stories do. They take these human elements and then blow them up on the giant screen and these giant bombastic over the top moments. But there's that human heart to it. And it's why I don't think people are going to get tired of superhero films the way that the staunchest critics against them are, are saying that they will because that humanity, it, it matters, it, especially nowadays when it feels like, you know, you can watch the news and see the way that people are just treating each other on, on every issue under the sun. And sometimes you just need to remember these things that make us human and the emotional bits that make us who we are as, as, as people. And as, you know, I, I just loved I love seeing that. And I thought like Yondu was potentially the best character for that in this film. Um, I thought that they really did a great job of expanding on him. And he's the guy I've thought about the most since then. Him and Ego. like, And Ego is mainly just because of Kurt Russell's performance. I thought Kurt Russell was just absolutely fantastic. And gorgeous visuals for the record. The cinematography there. Like, like we're not talking about some of the visuals, but... um, Such a gorgeous Ooh, plant. Whoever like, was doing their CGI was just that was that's some of the best CGI I've ever seen. Like that, yeah. like honestly, Marvel has been nailing their CGI. Doctor Strange was absolutely fantastic how they were dealing with all like the alternate universe stuff. This was absolutely beautiful. You see the trailers for Thor Ragnarok, which I have eh, things. But it's gorgeous visually, the color saturation. And, like, Guardians of the Galaxy is kind of oversaturated, but it's supposed to be because it's yeah. in space. And it feels like this foreign, far-out world, yeah. which is why, like, like, the galaxy could be literally anything. There are yeah. so many movies, and I'm not going to name names, but you know who you are, uh, that do these very boring traditional setups for their planets because they're like, oh, well, this is what people know. Screw what we know. You could do anything. You could You're talking about Michael Bay world. and Transformers, right? I mean, that's an example. I, I look, every single person who was listening to this had an answer in their head, <laughs> and all of your answers were correct. Whichever I one like you threw two. out there was absolutely right. The thing about this planet, like, there is nothing else. There is nothing I can compare to the way the ego was designed. Like, what would be your comparison? It, they made something that was wholly theirs, and they should. It could have been literally anything. And I, it, I remind, it reminds me, like, the visual style and the creation of it reminds me of the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, when he opens the door to where the Chocolate River is. Yeah. That, like, oversaturation of color and, like, oh, and, and at that time, like, what they did with that was, like, it was mind-blowing. And that was the point. Is like, oh, you can't imagine this. Like, it has to be all this. You can't imagine a room that's entirely made out of candy and, or out of chocolate. Like, we have to make it all these weird designs and weird colorations. And it has to be this super, super bright color. Um, not only just to show off the range of your cinematography 
in that time period, but also to just get you into that world of imagination. And I think that's exactly, you know, it's a technique you see, have seen used, you know, multiple times. And here they really emphasize that ego because he's so unique. Yes. Um, another thing I want to point out, that this is just to me, and maybe you disagree, this movie definitely felt like it was more about the, the supporting cast. Yes. This definitely is... didn't feel like a Chris Pratt. And, like, Star-Lord and Gamora, even though Star-Lord's kind of the center of, like, oh, yeah, this is your father, like, he felt like he was, like, a secondary character in this. And, and Gamora felt like kind of a secondary character in this in terms of, like, yeah, the story is focused on you two, but the, the characters around you are having so much more development and so much more world-building around you. And, like, Star-Lord is just... Oh, I found out I'm I'm you know a celestial like that's kind of cool. Uh, Rocket Raccoon totally changed his like view on life, and Yondu yeah. totally like changed his perspective of how the universe views him, and like all this other stuff. So, well, and this is and this is kind of the thing that like I, I think made it work as a whole is that you know all these side characters like we needed fleshed out depth for them. We got a lot of depth from Star Lord in the first film. Yes, like what we needed here was reinforcement of, of who Star-Lord is. And I think the best part of the whole film, well, I mean, there are a lot of amazing parts of the whole film, but the best part to me was as soon as Ego said, you know, it broke my heart to put that tumor in your oh. mom's brain, and he immediately starts shooting. What? No hesitation. <laughs> no, just anger and bang, 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 bang. I don't want to hear it. I don't give a fuck you killed my mom how fucking dare you you yeah. monster you evil sad like no and that's what we need yeah. him to be like that's who peter is he is this guy who at his core cares about these people that he loves so much that he would not you know hurt them and, and like sure this is his dad ostensibly but this is not the guy who was there for him this is not the guy he has the emotional connection to and this is the guy who killed his mom. mother unforgivable, unacceptable. He didn't need a journey to get to that point. We needed him to continue to be who he was. The fear, right? Like, this is where Amanda says, like, oh, he's probably, you know, over to your dad's side, his dad's side already. No, he fucking wasn't. Because he was not, he's not susceptible to those kind of tricks. He is solidly who he is, for better and for worse. <sighs> Whereas, like, you know, Gamora, like, I, I felt like we knew who she was to Star-Lord, but I don't think she knew who he was. she was to her sister. Like, she didn't realize the depth of that relationship in the way, like, you know, she's, you know, she was fighting to stay alive and she was looking at that survival thing. But so has, was her sister. And when she was doing a better job of it than Nebula was, yeah. Nebula, Nebula was took the, the brunt of that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, if I'm Gamora, like, I don't blame her for that action. It doesn't make her evil. It doesn't make us think less of her as a character. But it totally justifies a lot of the Nebula stuff from the first film. Like, Nebula now, to me, has gone from being a villain to, at worst, an anti-hero, I'd say. She's now Punisher. Yeah. Like she is now Punisher of, I have a, I have, I have one singular goal in my mind, and that is, I am going to kill Thanatos. Or yeah. Thanatos. Yeah, that, that is what I'm going to do. That is my only goal. I, I've realized that, you know, it's not your fault, it's his fault. He's the one who made me this way. Which, I mean, that's kind of bland character direction, like, and she's not necessarily that important of a character in reality outside of the, it helped create this story with Gamora of, like, creating a softer side. She was still this, like, I'm a warrior who's very focused on let's get things done. Right. And, 
like her last line is the whole you know the, the, the basically like the love line the unspoken thing to peter like that's like her last like big part of the movie is like okay like i broke i'm breaking out of my shell here now i can show emotion i can show weakness because i don't have to fight for my life every single moment of every single day yeah. and now that i've seen how you act and the type of person you are i am comfortable and not just to him but to rocket but to drax but to now their family that i can i can open myself up to you guys and i i trust you all to have my back and not make me do it alone and and, and to give nebula some credit too like there's now enough depth to her. Like, I'm totally open to seeing her show up in some of the other movies. Like, I think she's going to be around in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And instead of being like, oh, well, if she's there, that's fine. Or if not, whatever. Like, she's not that big of a deal. Like, I really want her to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I think she's she is a fun character from a design perspective. I like the way that she plays off of Gamora. I like... You know, the hesitant hug there at the end. Yes, we've seen that hug before, but this was done well here because it was this payoff that I didn't think we were going to get. And I thought that it was did a really good job of resolving all of that. I thought that, you know, you know, just thinking about, you know, how the actress played her, Karen Gillan, deserves a lot of credit. I think she added depth there in her performance that made it stand out. I do think, and this is something that probably comes down to an editing problem, she explains the robot thing twice. I don't think both times were meant to be kept in there. Like, she told it once to um, some side character, and then she tells Gamora what happened. And we really only needed the one. We could have hinted at it and foreshadowed it and then gone into the whole spiel. So I, I think that there was maybe a little editing thing there. But overall, like, she was really... It was well done. But and the, I, I think that, but like... No, no, no. They're in, they both needed to be in there, I think, for this reason. Because the first time she does it... It's a very cold, calculated, android-like approach to what happened to her. Of, like, I wasn't good enough. Bantos tried to make me better. And then with Gamora, it's not... It's her trying to be this very android. Like, this This is what happened to me. But that's when the, hu the, the human heart comes pounding out of her. Of, like, you were my sister. You, you let this happen to me because you were constantly beating me. Like... Like, this is why I'm angry at you. This is why I want to kill you. This is why... And that's not the... That's not explaining why she's part robot. It was, I. this is why I'm trying to kill you. It, let me get my emotions out. Like, that was the first time she was felt the need or felt the moment to let her actual emotions show. And, like, at the end of the day, I just wanted a sister. Like, you're yes. not actually going to kill someone that's your sister. That you, that you think can be your sister. Like, that's what that moment is of, like, why she can't actually do the job. is like, I can't kill you. I, I still want you to be my sister. Well... And even though it's awkward at the end, it's still, like... She, she did fly a ship into a cave with a whole bunch of lasers going. Like, you know, yeah. actually, like, she got lucky. Like, Gamora being as bad oh, as she is. Oh, come on. Like, survived. But I'm... Look. We know I'm, the movie Law of Heroes. They never get shot. Come on. I understand, but you can't say, like, oh, she would never kill her sister. She was totally ready to kill her sister. But when her sister saved her from the flaming ship, mm -hmm. that's when she's like, wait a second. Gamora cares about me. Yeah. I thought that she was this evil, heartless person who just watched me suffer. Why would she save me? Like, that inspired... Like, I, I think that there's that element to it, where every action that we see in these... And this growth, right? Like, what gets Rocket Rocket to grow? Well, he sees where Yondu is, and he sees the way Yondu's men are treating him, and and the the overthrow and whatever else, and he realizes, like, man, 
I could become that if I don't learn from this and make myself better as a result. You know, Gamora and Nebula comes down to like, man, if I, you know, if she's willing to do this for me, maybe she's someone who I could have in my life after all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Drax is the destroyer, right? Like, Drax's big thing, he, he doesn't have a, maybe an arc per se, but there's an amazing moment with Mantis, right, where he's, he's sitting out there and he's thinking about his, his dead family mm -hmm. and how much he misses them. And, you know, she does her empath thing and touches him, and she is overcome with grief. And he's just, just sitting bawling. there solemnly. Yeah. Because yeah. he's just accepted, like, yeah, it hurts, and it always will, and it is crushing, but it's something I would live with, and I still get to remember them, and that's enough. And that is, like, he and Star-Lord, I thought, were the two emotional anchors to this film. Were they who were who they were, and they're still the same person at the end of this, but more reinforced, more... Mm -hmm. depth to it and and more assurances within themselves of like yes this is who i need to be and i i think that it's important to understand that i think there's a a, a risk in having so many different character arcs where you like everyone has to grow and change and be different mm -hmm. like that would have been too much to balance with yeah. here we had everyone was their character some of them grew up some of them were reinforced some of them we just learned more about. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of balance that you really need to have in, a, in a, an ensemble piece like this. Yeah. And again, I'm going to give the screenwriters here, and there were a, a lot of, of people involved, but James Gunn gets the primary writing credit. I think he really understands how these characters interact with each other. And I think that he has a very strong understanding of, of what roles they need to play and what pieces of their character we need to see to 100% go all in on it. I, I gotta ask. I'm gonna ask you a question, Walter, real quick. Okay. Are you excited for Mantis being in Guardians of the Galaxy three? Because it seems like she's almost certainly gonna be a member of the team now. Like she's around. Like I, where are they gonna I put mean, her? I mean, I okay. Um, no, that that is not any any like thought that I have or any any worry that I have uh, coming out of this movie. And in all reality, like okay, sure, fine. If she's in Guardians of the Galaxy three, cool. Like, whatever they do with her, they do with her. Um, I I am much more curious, and, and I think this is a final question. I think we've covered pretty much all the movie except um, Chase, Thor Ragnarok. Um, we've yeah. mentioned the trailer. Obviously, the color scheme is out there. It does. It, he's in space. It does feel very cosmic. It does feel like he and, and Hulk in this movie um, are going to be kind of the tether that starts to bring Guardians into the Avengers Infinity War kind of fold. Like, um, what did this movie do to have that happen? Because my, my, my thought is that this movie did nothing for that to happen and that I swear to God, if the way they get Guardians of the Galaxy into the, uh, into the Avengers, into Infinity Wars, is Thor and Hulk need a ride back to Earth and Peter Quill and you know Star Lord just happens to be standing there like I could give you guys a ride. I'm gonna go nuts. I know Marvel isn't that dense to do something so stupid, but like I'm really worried that's the way it's going. So you you have some well, theories. You have some thoughts. Well, I can tell you right now, we passed the planet that Thor Ragnarok's gonna be on during one of their jumps, oh. and we know this because we saw Jeff Goldblum dancing in the credits. Like I mean, yeah, I saw Jeff Goldblum but, dancing in the credits, yeah. but like so so like we know that they are close to where Thor Ragnarok is going to take place. Okay. So we're like, that's, that's something that we can almost certainly infer 
from placing him in the credits and through the look of the planet. Like, we only got glimpses of some of these things, but it was a planet that was had the same outline uh, of something that we would exp- that we uh, Thor Ragnarok should be on. Um, at least that's what I, I'm reading. It was very quick. Like, I only saw the movie once, but from what I have heard and what I've read, those details are, in fact, there. So they do hint that the Guardians of the Galaxy are close. Um, there are five credit scenes, uh, post-credit five? scenes. Jeez. Yeah, did you not pay attention? Did you not stay for all five? I thought I saw all five of them. What were the, what yeah. are the five? Like, let, let's run through well, them real quick. Uh, Kraglin practicing with Yondu's arrow, which yes. is just kind of funny. Saw that, yep. Uh, the old school Guardians of the Galaxy getting together with Sylvester Stallone at the lead. Which, by the way, if yes. you don't know, that is the original Guardians of the Galaxy team. Like, that is like the 1960s Guardians of the Galaxy. That has not really related to this. It was a completely different type of Readers. hero group. Yeah. But it's well, yeah. The the they're calling themselves the Ravagers here. Ravagers, Ravagers. But it's um, yeah. It's it's from the 1975 team, which varies slightly from the 1969 team. But these are like old school comic guys. Okay. Um. I'm I'm gonna skip the third one for uh for the end because that's oh, the okay. one that's gonna be most relevant. Um, Groot being a teenager. Which I will say, uh, I, we didn't mention Groot in this film. I, I do think that Baby Groot was a good comic set piece. Mm-hmm. I think that it was good to have him in that form because it gave it made Rock, Rocket lose his emotional tether. You know, this is someone that, like, he had obviously turned to Groot in the past when he was overwhelmed by things. And Groot was one of his moral centers in a lot of ways. And he was stuck figuring that out for his own because Baby Groot's just not all that smart. And he was also the, du- the you know, deus ex machina for the entire, they're trapped in a prison, so. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. but it, but he wasn't because it was the other guy who helped him out. So, I mean, like, like, the joke is that he actually didn't do anything. That's It fair. was the other guy that, who ended up that, finding it and giving fair. him what he needed. That's so, fair. but, like, but you know, it, was, it was meant to be funny and it was funny. Um, teenage Groot looks like it's going to be hilarious because we all know how teenagers get with these things. Oh, and I'm, I'm all in for that snark. Um, the Stan Lee thing yes, at the, the end? Yes, the Stan Lee scene. Yep. Stan Lee is now officially in canon. Like, he is, like, all those cameos we've seen from him. Yes, I saw that. He was yeah. actually all of those characters. Like, this, this is, like, it's all tied together into one character and he's with the Watchers. And the Watchers are a cosmic entity uh, that are within Marvel, where they essentially uh, watch, observe, and record everything that happens in the known universe, uh, but they cannot interfere, Yes, theoretically. Now, there are stories in which the Watchers interfere. It's a big fucking deal when that happens. But, like, this basically says, like, yeah, the Watchers exist, and Stan Lee is one, one of, of them. one of them, which is why and he's in everything. <laughs> It's just kind of incredible. Which which um, makes me worried that if he's canonically a watcher, what I I don't want to say this, but you know, but what happens when he dies and we no longer see Stanley cameos in the movies? That's like it's cool that they're setting this up, but now they're also backing themselves into a corner of like, okay, we've created this, so now before he dies, we have to do something with the character. I get a feeling that he's recorded a whole bunch of cameos for like the next five or ten movies, just in case. <laughs> he's like he's like Tolkien, where he's written like thirty more novels, like to just be perused through and published at some point. Yeah, well, just like like because they're usually side things that can be incorporated yeah. into a movie pretty quickly. Like I wouldn't be surprised if if they have some backup plan. But yeah, I mean, they have like eight Spider-Man clips, eight Captain America clips, eight Iron Man clips. Just like I, I, I would like to think that they'll do for him what they did for like Spock in the uh 
or Leonard Nimoy, I should say, in the most recent Star Trek film, ah. where they have like that moment. And we accept that like the watchers are a thing and we see them and they're mourning over to Stanley because he was a character who they related to. I got you. Like that I think the watchers give them a very easy way to do that. Um the last thing that we're gonna have to watch, though Marvel has kind of shot this down a little bit when it comes to their film plans. They said that they're not going this way, but maybe they're lying. We'll see. No way. Um, a big company lying to the public? Not nonsense. They would never lie. This is the internet. You can't lie on the internet. I'm assuming you're curious who Adam is at the end there, huh? I I I picked up on that. I did you, pick up on that scene. Yes. So Adam, uh, his full name is Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock, uh, his his uh, personality, you know, it's kind of a different uh, origin story than the comics, but essentially he's created to be the perfect being. Yes. He is, he is, you know, with all these superpowers, all, you know, basically, you know, the ability even to have a kind of cocoon himself and regenerate. Um, he's probably going to start off as an adversary, but he's going to be a good guy overall. Thanos is one of his biggest rivals in the, in the comics because he has what's known as the soul gem and the soul gem is one of the infinity stones. Yes. And we know that Thanos is going for the infinity gauntlet. Now, James Gunn has said that Warlock is not in infinity war and Kevin Feige has confirmed that he's promised that eventually Warlock will be a major part of Marvel cinematic universe. So maybe he's not in infinity war, but remember, Avengers 3 Part 2, which is now no longer named. We don't know. It, it was Avengers, it's Avengers originally 4. Be, yeah, Avengers 4. Like, they didn't say anything about that. They just said 3. They did not say 4. Um, they also didn't say that there isn't some other way they could get the soul gem from Adam Warlock and say there was, like, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 between those films. So there are a lot of different ways they can incorporate that. But almost certainly Adam Warlock is going to play a significant role in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And whether that is the catalyst that they use to get the Guardians of the Galaxy to deal with Thanos is really what's left to question. But I don't think it's going to be like, it's not going to be, hey, need a ride. If anything, it would be, you know, the, the Guardians here, this story of, of this giant monster and this Asgardian with a, with a hammer or whatever else and Rocket or somebody was like, oh, we got to see that. And they follow him back and they see that there's like this whole world of these people. And they're like, man, like you guys, you know. Well, what a weird planet. And Quill goes, that's Earth. That's where I'm from. Yeah. Like there are are a lot of. Guardians of the Galaxy will return in the Avengers Infinity War. It's it. There's a lot in play. I'm I'm so excited for Thor Ragnarok. I I, I'm I mean, right now we're looking at Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's already great. It wasn't, I mean, I, I guess. Thor has been my least favorite part of Marvel. Can I be honest? Sure. But, like, this is the thing. Like, it seems like they're going in a completely different direction with the character this time. Like, that's why I'm excited about it. They got this director who is not a Thor fan. She hasn't read any of the Thor comics before. And she said she wasn't really a big fan of the movies either. Like, she's looking at it and saying, <laughs> not like ask her, like, whatever. Like, she's, like, she's, like, no wonder his hammer breaks. <laughs> she's like, nah, screw this shit. <laughs> like, well, no, it's it's more of like, you know, like she understands like who the character is supposed to be from a personality perspective. And she wants to hammer out some of those details rather than relying on, um, 
you know, the comic book stuff is as hard or, or relying on, uh, you know, the, you know, the more serious way that the first two films took the character. You know, they, she understands that, like, look, there's, you know, we're playing with these giant, like, cosmic entities here. Like, this should be fun. Like, this should, there should be this interesting element to it. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, go watch the video that she filmed. Uh, the Thor, I forget, is it like Thor break room or whatever? Like, he's hanging around in the office. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, like, yeah. making friends. Like, she directed that. And that's definitely a good idea of, like, the kind of comedy that she really enjoys. Like, we're going to get that side of things more than we have here. I think that Marvel has realized, like, look, Thor can tell these giant sprawling stories, but if the characters aren't fun or particularly deep, then people are just going to take it in for the spectacle and then they're going to forget it, which I think both Thor movies now can fall into that good but kind of forgettable category. Um, This one has a chance to be something special. This one has a chance, especially with, um, you know, Eric Pearson doing the screenplay. Like, there are a lot of talented people with different, uh, I I would say, different perspectives on it. You know, these are not people that are hung up by being part of the Marvel wheelhouse. This is somebody who is learning all these things about the movies because, like, this is something that James Gunn mentioned in an interview recently. All these Marvel directors hang out now. They're like their own little Marvel club where they get to talk about Marvel things and they all understand how all these pieces play off each other because A, you need to to write the script uh, properly, but B, like Marvel's kind of created this cult of personalities of these directors that otherwise would never get to be going in the same direction. If you've got one director that's like, ah, I'm going to go off on this weird tangent where Iron Man dies and everybody else is like, no, 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 dude, like, no, we need Robert Downey Jr. in this third movie that's down the pipeline like you can't you can't be angling to kill him i want to kill i want to kill iron man like no no you you, they all have to be in line which is something that i don't think i've felt from the uh the dc movies recently at all like it doesn't seem like they're going towards anything like yeah they're going towards justice league but like i don't know i don't want to bring dc up in this i i will say Here's the Taika Waititi quote that I'll tell you. Okay, well, quote to tell you everything you know. I think the overall sense that I'm trying to give the audience, and I want the audience to leave the cinema carrying with them, is a sense of joy, really. Sometimes I would stop and think, I'm doing a movie that's got Thor and Doctor Strange and the Incredible Hulk and Loki. Wait, and wait, 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 wait. Doctor is- Strange is in it? Absolutely, Doctor Strange is in it. Did you oh. not remember the post credit scene with Doctor Strange? Where, like, Thor comes up to him? And it's like, oh. you know, like has the whole meeting. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. I do remember that. Oh my and god, you did it. So strange, di- uh, di- uh, different. Civil War. It's just humans, humans, and human problems. Ours is creatures and beings, and all these sorts of really different characters. Again, displaying human problems, but in outer space or in other worlds. Uh, I'm a feel like a guest in Marvel's universe, but with the creative freedom to do what I want. I love all of this. This is exactly what I want from that cosmic sense of things. I want Thor to feel like something more than a human. I want his struggles to feel grander in that way. I want to embrace the weirdness of these characters. I'm I'm excited for it. And I'm excited, by the way, we're not even talking about Spider-Man Homecoming because you and I talked about it before we got onto this podcast because the new trailer dropped either before Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or it just happened to be the first time both of us saw it. God, it looks so good. Oh, I, I don't. I want it. I, I can't talk about it because I gotta save everything for it. 
I gotta save everything for it. I might actually go watch that like the moment it comes out in theaters at seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Like, yeah, that I might, might be an emergency spot. I might like, have to because like I don't want to go too hard. I, I want to do. I want to say one thing about the Thor trailer. Um, using immigrant song, perfect. Yes, like I, that is stuck in my head, and I just think about like Thor Ragnarok because it, it's such a good. And just like the like the punctuations in that Im- in immigrant song matching up with the trailer are absolutely perfect. But yeah, um, Spider Man. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't guess it if you kind of looked at me, but I'm kind of dorky, kind of a nerd, kind of you know kind of thing. Uh, I definitely identified with Peter Parker. So Spider Man. I liked the first two Spider Man movies that Tobey Maguire did, uh, and the only two Spider Man movies that Tobey Maguire did. And then like I wasn't. I liked the first Andrew Garfield one and the only Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. So, you know, um, yeah, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I'm very excited. I think Keaton looks like he's going to be a fantastic villain. I think that Robert, uh, Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man again, playing Tony Stark is just dismissive enough of Tom Holland's childish ways. And Tom Holland actually looks like a child. That's kind of helpful when you're talking about like, you know, a teenager in high school. So, I don't know. I'm excited. I want to save all of that bubbling excitement for when I actually watch it. Yeah. How weird is it that finally we're going to have a a Marvel comic book movie that actually has something to do with teenagers, i.e. what theoretically is the target audience for these films? Like, it's about time. Like, like in the comics, it feels like we drown in that sometimes. But here, it's going to be a breath of fresh air to have a young character who goes through young people problems. That is true. Young people millennial problems, like being able to afford an apartment in New York City. That's kind of weird. Uh, like right? Aunt May can afford an apartment as a widow in New York City. And it looks like a kind of lavish apartment, if you remember the scenes from, from Civil War. Like, it doesn't look like it's like a run-down, like, scrubby little, like, I'm barely affording this with my waitress salary kind of apartment. So I'm, I'm kind of intrigued of, like, what was Uncle Ben's retirement plan like that they can afford such a, such a petulant loft? Five fucking five K, dude. Now we've gone completely for for full circle. That's completely <laughs> full circle. And with that, uh, I I say we circle up the wagons and and we close out this podcast. Uh, that has been Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, a movie that uh, I think Chase and I uh, both enjoyed. Uh, Chase, on on a scale of one to ten, flying whistle arrows. What would you give it? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. I, I think it, it could have been better. I, I gave the original one like a nine, nine point five at the best. Like I, I don't think it was perfect. I think it had flaws, but I think its flaws didn't mean anything compared to the <laughs> to the heights that it had. I mean, look, I was aware of the flaws while I was watching, and I was still laughing from start to finish, and I still cared about the characters at the end, and I felt like all of the moments that have stuck with me, all of those moments are really great moments. The in between bits. I mean, this is the thing we sometimes forget about all movies. Like, you're only you're not going to remember every beat from every movie ever. What matters most is what sticks with you, and the stuff that's going to stick with you from Guardians of the Galaxy Two is awesome. Unless you're uh, like one of my uh, Twitter follower friends who absolutely hates that uh, the the song the uh, uh, Brandy, and and that was not great. That did not help. But unless you have a like a really strong hatred towards the song Brandy, you're all good. It's a great movie. You're gonna have a fun time. That's fair. Uh, I'm gonna give it an eight. Um, but that eighth arrow uh, is broken, much like Yondu's, just because of that opening scene. 
it still kind of digs in my skull. And even though I understand it, uh, I did not like it. And you know what? It's my ranking. And uh, if you don't like it, that's your problem, Internet, not mine. Because you can have differing opinions on the Internet and, and not hate someone for having a different opinion. I know it's kind of shocking. But like I said, that is a podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, Chase, where can the good folks at home find you on the Twitter sphere? If you want to gush about Marvel movies, I'm always available to do that at Red Shirt King. I'd love to hear what you guys thought of the film. Uh, obviously, you know, it's, you know, everyone's going to come away with the certain things that they uh, came across. So you tell me what stood out most to you. What was your favorite moment? I'd love to talk about it. Absolutely. You guys can follow me at C80s underscore LOL. And if you would like to see more of this kind of content, Chase and I have been doing a League of Legends podcast for almost three and a half years at this point, and we have intermixed it with the occasional movie retrospective, the occasional Hearthstone, all these kind of other tangential ones. We always joke about how we need to do the Spy Kids movie podcast. Well, if you want to see any of those, Chase and I have put together a little survey for our viewers and our listeners just to give us some feedback about what you like about our content, what you don't like about our content, and what you would like to see more of. So go ahead and look down in the description, or I think on YouTube I'll put an annotation somewhere around my face. And click on that. It'll just take a couple minutes, and we would really appreciate it if you guys would fill that out and, and let us know some of your thoughts. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, until next time, Internet. Goodbye. Hey there, C80s here. Thanks for checking out the podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, consider supporting us at www.patreon.com backslash roughdraftspod. For just a dollar a month, you can join your fellow listeners in our patron-only Discord channel and help keep the content coming. Or join our VIP club, where a dollar a show or eight bucks a month gets you first priority on all patron content like our patron-only Q&As. And check us out on all of our social media, Twitter, at RoughDraftsPod, Facebook.com, backslash RoughDraftsPod, SoundCloud.com, backslash EsportsRoughDrafts, as well as on iTunes and YouTube by just searching for the Rough Drafts Podcast. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, Internet.